So that all began because of one simple act of disobedience back in the Garden of Eden. It might have been an act of rebellion, who knows, but God had put the garden together in such a way that he told Adam and Eve, look, you guys can have any of the fruit in the garden, you can do all the things you need to do here, there's only one tree you can't eat from. You really don't need to worry about what's in that tree because I'll take care of that stuff. There's things I need to know that you don't need to know. There's things I need to worry about you don't need to worry about. So just trust me. Just leave that tree alone. Take the rest. It's going to be okay. Then the enemy of God comes in. He convinces Adam and Eve that this is not the way to go, that they're limiting themselves. They're not quite you know, achieving what they could be, that God's trying to keep them down. And they agree with the enemy, and they take from the tree. And when they agree with the enemy, it opens the way for the enemy to sow his seeds of chaos, meaninglessness, formlessness, and mess throughout human history. And it's gone on and on and on and on. And the assault of the enemy is mostly on God's image bearers, you and I, people. He wants to convince us that God doesn't really care, that God really isn't powerful, that God isn't really with us, that God has left us. And so he sends all kinds of chaos into people's lives. We have people with broken homes. We have people with broken bones. We have people with broken hearts. The list goes on and on, right? People have gone through all kinds of tragedies and difficult stuff. And basically, it leaves the world thinking that God is not really here anymore. In fact, the enemy has succeeded in disconnecting us from our Creator, from our Father, and from our God. There's literally a chasm that's been opened. Now, uh, one writer called this spiritual vertigo. You know what vertigo is? I've had it a few times. It's when your middle ear gets infected. You sit up in the morning out of bed, and it's like the whole room begins to spin. Literally, like you've, got, like you've been on a merry-go-round, and you can't get off. It just keeps spinning. Well, spiritual vertigo would be the same thing. Basically, deep inside, you have all these confusing spiritual questions and wonderings, and somehow, those wonderings, those confusing things go on inside all the time, and you just can't stop them. You find yourself spinning spiritually out of control all the time. You can't find your equilibrium. You can't find your balance. Now, I don't know about you, but I've met people who have spiritual vertigo. This summer at camp, I sat across the table one night at dinner for a young lady who sat there, and she barely looked up for a meal at me. The tears just fell on the table for the whole hour that we talked. And she talked about getting involved with the wrong boy, rebelling against her parents, making bad choices. She said, you know, I want to know, I want to believe that God loves me, that he really cares about me, but my life would tell me otherwise. And she was just spinning out of control. I sat with another young man whose parents had died in the last couple of years, both of them, killed in a car accident. And he sat at the table and said to me, how am I supposed to believe in a loving God who would let my parents get killed in this way? I, I sat with some more girls who said with me and said, we don't get this whole gospel thing, this whole Jesus thing. Explain it to us. It's confusing. Spiritual vertigo. It's everywhere. You probably know dozens of people who are spinning out of control spiritually. They live all around us. They probably don't darken the doors of this place. They live all around us. And here's the thing. When God realized the world was in spiritual vertigo and complete chaos, he actually had a plan. Let me show it to you. 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. 
So we talked about this last week. God actually is sending us to deal with the spiritual vertigo. We are the representatives of Christ in the world. We are his missionaries. We get to enter into people's lives and help them find their spiritual equilibrium. That's God's plan. We're God's plan. We're supposed to be doing it. Now, the thing is, our approach has been a little bit scary, to be honest. We've done really well at kind of yelling at people. You know, we say things like, God's not like that. He didn't really do that. He loves you. You need Jesus. But think about it, folks. When you are so spiritually confused that you're not quite sure where to turn, all these words don't really land in your heart. Jesus said the soil of people's hearts is filled with rocks and weeds. It's been trampled. So even if you sow the word of God into it, it can't receive the word of God. It's impossible. So yelling at people about the gospel and and telling them, you got to come hear our preacher preach, he's going to straighten you out, really doesn't work. This has been our primary approach, by the way. This one here, I love this one. We're saving a seat for you. Hurry back. We miss you. I'm sure the people out there are clamoring to get in here. There's a lot of empty seats. They just can't wait to come here, Pastor Greg, preach and tell us the gospel and just get their lives straightened out. If they sit in that golden chair, they'll pray their magical prayer and everything will just be wonderful, right? No. This doesn't work anymore. Now, it doesn't mean we should stop bringing people to church. We should still continue to try to people to church. But the reality is, most people, I'm going to break some news to you, most people don't want to come to church. Some of you don't even want to come to church. <laughs> right? You think your neighbors want to come here? They, they want to come here and sing some songs to people they don't know, songs they don't even know, drink some bad coffee and listen to a lecture? They don't. They don't care. So this whole come to church with us, we're going to invite you to church, you know, that's been a, an approach we've used to try to make it easy for people. Right? To try to make it easy for you. Just invite your friend to church. I can tell you this. In the last 25 years since Willow Creek was born, we have built 1,500 new mega churches in this country. But church attendance is down and to the right across the board. So we can look at these mega churches and think, wow, it's really working. I've talked to several of these mega church pastors, and they're telling me, Klein, people aren't showing up like they used to show up. The seekers aren't coming through the door. We can put on the laser light show and the smoke machines and the amazing band, the amazing preacher. People just aren't coming. They're not interested. They're not interested. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Well, uh, we probably need a new approach. Probably need a new paradigm, a new way to do things. Now, new paradigms are not really all that easy, Right? Here's one that I ran into a few years ago. Oh, I'll read this to you. This is good. So I talked to a pastor in Gurney, Illinois. Here's what he said to me. If we keep doing what we're doing, we'll be presiding over the largest decline of the church and its influence in American history. That woke me up. That got me thinking, huh, we need to do something different. So here's a new paradigm that I ran into a few years ago. Um, I ended up in Australia there was a young girl in my church who was uh, from Australia. She came back from the summer, and she came to my wife and I, and she said, hey, I got engaged this summer. I would like you to do our wedding. And I said, really? Where's it going to be? She said, Australia. I said, how many get there? She said, well, we'll fly you and your, my dad will fly you and your wife over. I said, let me, let me ask God about that for a second. Okay, yeah, we're going to do that. 
It was a real quick word from the Lord. It was amazing. Boom. So we went to Australia. We went to Australia, and we get there, and I walk out of the airport, and immediately I'm in a new paradigm. The traffic's not going this way. It's going this way. I get to my rental car, and there's no driver's wheel at the driver's side. I go to the driver's seat. It's an empty seat. I go around the other side. I have to drive from the left side of the car on the left side of the road. It's just crazy. The first three or four days, we almost died several times. I, you know, a right turn's like a left turn, a left turn's like a right turn, and I was just out of control. I would turn right, and instead of getting on the other side of the road, I'd be driving right in oncoming traffic. My wife would be like, honey! Right? It was good. It was not, I had to do a lot of thinking about this paradigm. It's hard. When you're in a new paradigm, it takes a lot of thought. It takes a lot of... It's uncomfortable. But you know what? After about a week, it became pretty easy. I could do it. Now, when I talk about a new paradigm in church, people start freaking out. What? You're going to ask me to do something new? Something different? I mean, I can't just sit in my seat and bring my neighbor here. I mean, I got to do something else. Yes. It's going to be okay. At first, you'll probably feel a little weird. It's okay. Just like me driving in Australia. But you'll get used to it. It's amazing. We start to walk differently. We start to get used to things. Now, people get confused because when I talk about a new paradigm, I'm not really talking about something new. I'm talking about something ancient. So let me show you another verse from Jeremiah. Stand at the crossroads and look. By the way, we could say the American church is at a crossroads right now. We're at a crossroads, okay? Where are we supposed to look? We're supposed to ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. So I'm not talking about more laser lights, a better worship service, a cooler band, a cooler preacher with cooler words and cooler clothes. I'm talking about looking at the ancient path. Now, I learned about ancient paths a few years ago when I was in Colorado. So I've gone to Colorado Challenge Camp for about 34 years. In my 20th year, I knew the road so well that I knew if I stopped in, at the Boston Market in Monument, Colorado, I would be exactly one hour from the camp. On Highway 25, which is 75 miles per hour, six lanes wide, down into Colorado Springs, up 24, into Woodland Park, and then to the camp. So we, we gathered there at this Boston Market, an hour from camp. My wife and I are eating our lunch with all the kids gathered around us, and this little old lady walks up to us, and she says, where are you guys going? I said, Colorado Challenge Camp. It's going to be amazing. 20th year. Woo! Woodland Park, Colorado. She says, how are you going to get there? I said, well, ma'am, have you seen the highway out front? It's amazing. 75 miles per hour, six lanes. It's amazing. One hour, ma'am, from here to camp down the highway to Colorado Springs, up 24 into the mountains. It's awesome. Here's what she says. That's not the best way to go to, the, to go to Woodland Park. I'm like, ma'am, it's the only way. She goes, come with me, Sonny. So I get on my chair with my wife. We go behind the building. She points to this mountain behind the building. I can see this dirt road snaking up the side of this mountain. She goes, that's the best way to go to Woodland Park. I'm like, ma'am, I don't have like eight hours. I got like a bunch of people's kids with me. We can't die in the mountains. You know, this is not going to be good. And she said, no, 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 no. She said, that's the ancient road before the highway. It's way better. And I'll tell you right now, if you take that road, it will take you one hour exactly from this place to, to Woodland Park. So I'm walking back to the restaurant thinking in my head, woo-coo, coo-coo, coo-coo. My wife says, we're doing this. <laughs> Next thing you know, 
I'm driving three 15-passenger vans up the side of this mountain on this dirt road going 15 miles per hour, creeping up the side of this mountain. And then it started to happen. Since we were going 75 miles per hour on a highway, I could see the scenery opening before me. I could see the waterfalls. I saw deer in the woods. I mean, the, the, the creation was beautiful. And we arrived one hour to the minute in, in, in Woodland Park, Colorado. It was unbelievable. It was way better. The ancient road, the ancient way. So what if we're supposed to stand on this crossroads and look back to the ancient way? We might say, what is that ancient way? Well, think about it. God had the same problem. You know, the world was spinning out of control. People were in spiritual vertigo. So you can send prophets, you can send preachers, you can send messengers. But guess what? Because people's spirits are so messed up, they can't hear the words. So God changed the paradigm. Let me show you the new paradigm he, he chose. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. I love this. So Jesus comes in the flesh, and it says there, he came so we could see the glory of the Father. He came to show us what God was really like. He came to show us you know, what it, what it is to be in the presence of God. He came to walk that out in front of us in, in the flesh, and he, and he became a human, which means he lived this out on earth to show spiritually spinning people what it was like to be in the presence of a glorious God. Make sense? So it makes me wonder, so if Jesus is kind of the new paradigm that God sent, and if he's kind of the way we get on this mission and become his ambassadors, what can we learn from Jesus? Is there something we can learn from him about how he did this? So I started digging through my Bible, and I came upon this one encounter Jesus had in John chapter 4. So John chapter 4, you know the story, the woman at the well, right? So we're just going to dig through a few things. We're going to see, are there any ways that Jesus moved that we can learn from? Are there ancient ways that he moved that we can actually emulate, follow him in, in his footsteps? So here's John 4, verses 3 and 4. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Look at this phrase. Now he had to go through Samaria. Now, what did he learn of? He learned of the Pharisees spreading false rumors about him. So he said, I'm getting out of here. I'm taking myself out of Jerusalem. I'm going back to my hometown in Galilee. But I love that phrase. He had to go through Samaria. Why does it say that? Well, because the Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. Samaritans were half-breeds. They had married, intermarried with the Assyrians. They had mixed all kinds of weird religious stuff into their Jewish way of thinking. They had messed everything up. So the Jews didn't want anything to do with them. Most Jews would travel from Jerusalem down to Jericho along the Jordan River and then back into Galilee. They would never go through Samaria. But these Jews, Jesus said he had to go through Samaria. Or maybe he wanted to go through Samaria because Jesus was on the mission of God and he knew in Samaria there were a lot of spiritually confused people. And Jesus was hoping by going through Samaria that he would actually meet one. Wow. Do you have to go through Samaria? I bet you do every week. Some of you go right to Samaria every week to your job, to your kid's soccer game sidelines to the coffee shop in your town, to the grocery store. And all around you are spiritually confused, spiritually spinning people. Right? So it's time for us to go there on purpose. Get out of our little bubble and get out in the world where people are spiritually spinning who might actually have something that they need us to do for them. Okay? 
This continues. Look at this. So he came to a town called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. Now, I love this. This is significant. Jesus does not go to the synagogue in Samaria and hang out with the people in the synagogue. He goes to the public watering hole where he knows people are going to be coming because he wants to intersect with spiritually confused people. Jesus hung out at the well, not the synagogue. He went to synagogue. He just didn't hang out there. He hung out in the public spaces where he could have these encounters, these intersections of people that were lost and broken. So think about it. Where do you hang out? Do you only hang out with Christians? You only hang out with your Christian little friends, your small group? That's awesome. But guess what? You'll never have an encounter on the mission of God if you don't get in public space and hang out there. You'll never meet anyone who's spiritually confused and lost and broken. And since we're the ambassadors of Christ, we have to meet those people so that we can carry out the mission of God that God sent us on. Okay? Look at this. It gets better. John 4, 7 and 9. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman? How can you ask me for a drink? And in parentheses, John puts, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. I love this. Jesus has an intersection at the well with a spiritually confused person. Right? She's totally lost. She comes to the well by herself in the middle of the day. And I love how Jesus treats these intersections. He doesn't treat them like they're interruptions in his life. He treats them as if they're God-ordained moments to enter into the mission of God. So this woman shows up at the well. Jesus doesn't just ignore her. He talks with her. Immediately he treats it like, maybe God's up to something here. I'm going to enter in. I'm going to go. When you have intersections with people who are spiritually confused and spinning, do you think of them as just annoying interruptions in your day? Or do you see those as God-ordained moments where God might be up to something and might want you to get involved? When you're standing in the line at the supermarket, do you... Try to find the fastest line. That's what I do. Which one's going faster? Or do you stop and go, huh, maybe I should talk to the guy behind me, the guy in front of me. When you get your coffee in the morning from Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks, do you get to know the person behind the counter? Those are intersections with spiritually lost people. They need us to engage. Now, in case you think this is all nutty, I was coaching a bunch of pastors on the phone uh, about a year ago, and these guys were telling me how they couldn't leave their offices. I told them Jesus didn't have an office. If they had read their Bibles, Jesus never had an office. He, he actually was always out. They told me, well, you know, one guy told me, I, I work in my sermon 18 hours a week. I said, well, you should cut that in half because it's not that good anyway, and most people aren't even listening to it. So you should just cut it in half. So work on it for nine hours, and then you get nine hours somewhere else, right? I said, look, you guys got to get out in public space. You have to model for your congregations what this means to be on the mission of God. If you're not modeling it, how in the world are people supposed to like, get on board? So the one guy took me seriously, and the next month we got together, and Pastor Mark said to me, well, I took your advice. I went to the same subway three times a week for the whole month. And I just sat there, and I just observed people, and I just intersected with people. I talked with them. He said, really, I, I got to know the girl behind the counter because she was always there and took my order every time. She said, this past week I got there, and she looked kind of sheepish when she was taking my order. She looked kind of weird. 
So he said, I said to her, what's the matter? Well, she said, I have a question for you, but I'm not really sure how to ask it. He says, well, shoot, it's okay. And she says to him, well, I wonder if you pray over haunted houses. What? He says, what are, you, what are you asking me that question for? Like, what are you talking about? Well, my son every night wakes up in his bed, and he runs to my bed. He can't really sleep because there's a dark figure that visits him in his bed. And I think my house is haunted. I just wonder if you pray over haunted houses. So Pastor Mark took an anointing oil vial, went to her house, and prayed over her home, over her son's room, and explained to her about the Jesus that wants to take up residence in her home and the Jesus that wants to take up residence in her life. Three days later, when he was eating uh, dinner with his wife in a restaurant, she came in, she saw him, she ran across the restaurant, she said, Pastor Mark, my son slept for three straight days. It's amazing. Your prayers work. And I want to come to your church and find out about this Jesus takes up residence in your home and takes up residence in your life. Now, was Pastor Mark there on any kind of big mission? He was just ordering his food. But it's awesome because God stepped in and provided him an opportunity to get on the mission of God with a spiritually confused person. This is how simple this is. What if we just went to public spaces and hung out there with people? God might start to actually provide us these God-ordained connections, intersections, where we get to start to spread, right, the good news of Jesus to the world. It'd be amazing. Now, we as a church, we want to learn from Jesus in this, okay? So we're going to actually be practicing some skills, some behaviors over the next six to eight weeks. Hopefully, it's going to go on beyond that. These are skills that Jesus himself displayed as a human being that allowed him to be on the mission of God. Here's the name of these skills. Sorry, Gail, I'm jumping way ahead now. There we go. These are the nine arts of spiritual conversations, and we believe these are the behaviors Jesus used when he was on mission as a human being on planet Earth. He noticed people. He loved people. He welcomed those people into his life. He asked them great questions. He listened to people. Jesus was a relationship-building machine. He was great at it. This human being, this guy that walked the earth, just knew how to connect with people who were spiritually spinning and use those connections to share with them the good news that he understood and knew. Right? We're going to learn these skills. We're going to practice these skills. We're going to talk about these skills from the front. We're hoping small groups are going to get involved in these skills and practicing these skills. We're all going to try to get really good at um, these missional behaviors. Now, here's the great thing about these. I'm not going to add anything to your life. I want you to just live your life as you already do. I'm not going to ask you to come to a meeting or anything like that. And as you live your life, I want you to adopt these skills. So when you go to your kid's soccer game, instead of just sitting there, paying attention to your kid and looking at your phone, put your stinking phone away, right? And pay attention to the people sitting around you. Notice them. Talk with them. Listen, because who knows? Jesus may have put you there for a reason. In that seat, at this time, next to those people, because he might have something for you to do. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be awesome? Now, some of you are thinking, oh, come on, fine. I can't do this stuff. I'm not like you. You're like a crazy man. Well, I'm not asking you to become like me. Look, look at these arts. Noticing, praying, listening doesn't even require you to talk. If you're an introvert, this should be happy news to you, right? You can just sit there. Just don't say a word, 
right? Just sit there. Um, but, but, you know, can anyone do these? Well, yeah, anyone can do these. Look at this. I want to show you one of my friends here to finish up today. So this is Kathy. The far right there in the blue is Kathy Erickson. She's about 68 years old now. When I met her, she was 65. Does she look like a professional Christian? Does she look like a preacher? Does she look like a super extrovert? No. She looks like a grandma, doesn't she? I met this woman when she was 65 years old, and here's what she said to me. She said, Jeff, I'm really concerned because I don't even know any of my non-Christian friends and neighbors. I, I walk by them all the time. I don't, even, I don't know their names. I've never talked to them. I think this is a problem. If I'm going to live like Jesus in the world, I need to get better at connecting with my neighbors. So Kathy decided to start practicing these nine arts of spiritual conversations, and within two years, she told her pastor, I can't work at church anymore because I got too many people in my neighborhood that I'm connected to. She started to look up from her garden when she was gardening and notice people going by and talk to them. She started a craft club at her house because she likes crafts, and she's invited some people over to do it with her. She started inviting people to walk down the street with her and started having spiritual conversations. She's now leading a group of 14 non-Christians in a discussion about God who are spiritually confused. Why? Because she just started practicing these simple things in her life and trusting that God could use her. If God can use Kathy, he can certainly use you people. <laughs> True? Yeah. This is an ordinary Christian who's just doing her thing. That's her husband, Bob, by the way. And that's her friend, Jean, who's like 73. And that's her friend, uh, Emily, who's a little younger. These four people are changing the world in Arlington Heights, Illinois. They're a part of a Presbyterian church there. And they have decided to embrace seriously the mission of God with their lives. And God is using them in mighty ways to change people's lives for the kingdom. Wow. I can't wait to tell one of your stories from the front because you went and practiced those arts and got serious and built some relationships, right? All right. I've talked long enough. This is the longest sermon in history probably. But we're going to pray, all right, and get Pastor Greg back up here. All right, let's pray. Jesus, we know that you came. You were the new paradigm that your father put together, Lord. You in the flesh displaying to the world what your father was like. We want to be the same kind of people that display to the world what you're like. So Jesus, we pray over the next months that you would help us to be obedient to this call, to this journey, to this, this idea, Lord, that you teach us to be on your mission together. In your name we pray.